This isn't the first time this has happened, by the way. Um, I've I've had to cover stuff like this before. People not understanding perspective with with cameras and, and lenses and uh, how how it affects the way you perceive a three dimensional image squished onto two dimensions. Uh, there there was this one thing I remember with President Trump at a rally where there were two different angles, two different camera angles. One angle showed flags behind him and the other angle from kind of more off to the side, you couldn't see the flags at all. And it was the same thing there. It was, it was a perspective issue. People were not understanding perspective and how uh, a focal length, uh, especially like a telephoto focal length can really screw with your, um, your sense of, of perspective. It makes you things. It makes you think that things are much closer together than they really are. Um, wish I could find it. I'd show you guys again, but it's the same thing. Um, it. I, I remember drawing a diagram for it. Uh, I don't have time for it here, but um, yeah, it's, it's the same sort of thing. And with these, um, with the cameras that they use for news events like this, it makes it even harder because they use tiny, tiny little sensors, which increases something called depth of field. So images behind the subject and in front of the subject are not blurred out as much as they would be on like you, you see me here and you see all this is blurry, right? You can tell this is behind me because it's it's out of focus and you can tell this microphone is way in front of me, right? Because it's it's way out of focus. Um, the, the cameras they use here, uh, due, due to the size of the, the sensor that they use, um, it, it just, it, it's much harder to perceive depth because that effect of, of a blurred foreground and a blurred background are not there uh, in the same sense. It, 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 uh, it, it screws with your sense of perspective. Oh yeah, and that's another one that happens all the time. The, the, I used to see this everywhere. It still spreads all the time the uh the lizard eyes right that's another one and that every time i've seen it just looks like crappy compression on a video because what you're seeing when you watch a video is not an exact representation of the image as it originally appeared it's fudged with by uh compression algorithms and uh, all, like all sorts of funky stuff that, um, like in order to save data, it, it uses other pixels and edges around a specific pixel to judge what that pixel might be. I don't know if I'm explaining this properly, but, uh, in a way that you guys can kind of understand, um, 
and it causes all sorts of errors to to happen just just in order to save space right because if it if it represented every pixel exactly as it was picked up by the camera the file sizes uh for uploading to the internet would be i mean they'd be massive they'd be huge um so they compress the videos and that's that's why you see like this this video of biden is like a blocky mess right um and that's what happens with the eyes. Like you'll see all those videos of people that are claimed to have like a lizard eye when they blink or whatever. It's it's just the the compression stuff coming into effect when they blink because uh, the it thinks that well well that should be white because it's been white for the past five seconds, and then they blink, and it's still it's like it doesn't pick it doesn't register it because it doesn't doesn't have to because it does it wants it's prioritizing saving space over accurate representation of the image if, if that makes sense that's that's something that i see all the time and it's just people not understanding digital video all right uh are you ready you good okay she's ready i'm out and i'll see you guys tomorrow bye bye all right. So um, I put the link for the show prep out there. We have a lot of stuff to cover tonight. And so um, no guests tonight. Um, we'll be having uh, Brother Augustine on Friday. So um, if any of y'all are familiar with him, let me know. If you've never heard of him, let me know. <laughs> He'll be coming on Friday. Um, and he'll be talking about, well, we're going to talk about pride, ego, the journey to Christ. So that should be pretty cool. And um, I think next week we're going to have Roosh on and he's going to talk about his new book, American Pilgrim. So that should be really cool. All right, let's see. Ah, where is my show prep? Here it is. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't see Pinata yet. Hopefully he'll be joining us soon. All right. Um, let's see. Okay. So um, make sure, of course, that you're following my telegram. I actually post a lot of stuff there. Uh, it's t.me slash radixverum. So you can follow my telegram there. Um, and my gab is just gab.com slash digging deeper. And then I upload um, my show archives to my YouTube channel, but probably more to my BitChute channel. The BitChute channel is also called Digging Deeper, uh, like the show. So that should be um, easy to find it. Just, you know, go to um, BitChute and type in digging deeper or Radix Verum and it should come up uh, rather quickly. I'll try to get the link to add to this title page of our slideshow so you can just kind of like copy and paste it. So um, tonight we're going to talk about um, the article I published yesterday, Project Pogo, Project Zypher. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, David Goldberg and the information that he put out um, in early 2019. And so um, whatever, regardless of whether you think that this man was who he said he was, the information itself is very interesting 
and it seemed to have predicted a lot of the things that like we're experiencing right now right um and so we're also going to be covering um and hopefully if we have time to get to it uh, a piece on Wittgenstein I published today. Um, so if, you, if you're a fan of linguistics and philosophy, you'll like that one. <laughs> but um, we, we might not have time to get to all of that stuff. In either case, it's up on the Patriot Soapbox website. Uh, that should be at the top right now. We, we published another good article today uh, by Honey from the Universal Spectator. So that is also up there on the PSB website website. And um, there's a article I want to get into tonight, if we have the time to do it, from the American Conservative. And it is about talking to the FBI. And essentially, why that's not a good idea, even if you haven't done anything wrong. And this is important, obviously, because right now they have opened 2000 domestic terror cases, uh, simply about you know Trump supporters where they're aggressively trying to frame Trump supporters for any little thing they can find uh, in this war on Trump supporters that Christopher Ray is waging. And so we're going to cover that stuff tonight. I hope we have time to get into some of the other things. I you guys remember um, when President Trump had appointed. Uh, McGregor into the Pentagon, that was something I was very excited about because um, he was one of the ones for a long time who'd been speaking out about these forever wars and wanting to bring our troops home. And uh, that's actually what Trump had appointed him to do, was to bring our troops back. And he has a very interesting story. He just recently came out and um, and talked to uh, the gray zone, and he said basically there were forces within the Pentagon. What are you doing? Goodness. What? Uh, right there. Oh my goodness! Eighties um, Aaron says her uncle Jack got talked into the vax, and now he's in the hospital with stroke symptoms. To pray for him. Yes, we absolutely will. That is out. That is insane. So everybody, uh, keep her uncle in your prayers. Let's keep him uplifted in prayer. Oh my goodness. This is why um, I'm not going to take this thing. I'm just not going to. You know, if I don't know which one it was, Aaron, but the AstraZeneca one has now been, I think, blocked in 11 different countries because of similar things happening to people after they were taking them. So... Yeah, please keep him in your prayers. Um, McGregor, he basically said that there were people that it were within the Pentagon that lied to him and, and um, were very shady. And so this should not surprise anybody. President Trump himself talked about the military-industrial complex, and uh, hopefully we have enough time to get to all of that stuff tonight. And so uh, with that being said, let's get into the show. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people inherently and historically 
opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. You guys know what this represents? Well, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. America is governed by Americans. Infiltration instead of invasion. On subversion instead of elections. On intimidation instead of free choice. The corporate media in our country is no longer involved in journalism. For them, it's a war. And for them, nothing at all is out of bounds. Man will be what he was born to be. Free and independent. We have a new psalm today, <laughs> Psalm 13, and um, little Re, she decorated this, um, she made this graphic here, uh, and, um, you know, we wanted to include the icon of St. Patrick here, and uh, she's very fond, of course, of the clovers. <laughs> psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Amen. Amen. And happy St. Patrick's Day. That's right. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Amen. She is getting um, much better with her reading. I think that's true. And she does try to do it with like, she reads with expression. I think that's so cute. Um, and she's just very excited today for St. Patrick's Day. Um, so just a reminder, um, Rep. Paul Gosar will be joining the channel next week. Uh, March 23rd at 5.30 p.m. He's going to be calling in to 
freedom rings. So make sure that you're there for that because um, he's taken a stand to, uh, you know, stand up for America first. Um, and he also never backed down with supporting our president and um, calling out the voter fraud. So she also helped me decorate <laughs> this promotional graphic and she insisted that we add this little Pepe in the corner. And I, <laughs> I thought that was such a good idea. It was so cute. Um, she just, she's having a lot of fun with the graphics and she is using the Canva program that I use. And she, I'll tell you what, the younger generation are going to be much better with technology and stuff. I mean, the, learning it young, it just, it's very intuitive for them. Once she starts playing around with it, she's like, oh, and let's add this and let's add that. And she just starts like figuring this stuff out. It's so cute. Yeah. It's, it's weird, right? To, 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 cause we, on one hand, we understand what happens with screen time and, and overusing it mm -hmm. at the other time, it's like, there's been a lot of positive uh, benefits to some of it. Yeah. So I think it really just comes to limiting it, limiting it, limiting it. Uh, right. Um, where it's appropriate. And one of the reasons I, I kind of let it slide with like the iPad usage mm -hmm. on my end was just the vocabulary is all, is just, really really good like and the reading comprehension and all that because in order yeah. to try to figure out what you want to do they have to learn how to read to and, and understand you know, all the words and all the commands and all that right? yes mm -hmm. so there's a there's a benefit but if if it's a if you get to the point where you see it become a personality issue or like like the way that if they like the way if you like say, okay, we're done with this and just having a huge tantrum reaction, then you know that that's just too much time. Like that's, there's too much attachment, especially at that age. They can't, you know, we, uh, we have to be careful that they don't have like some, you know, learned pattern of addiction, you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. true. Um, but in, in your right, there's, you know, it's a, there's give and takes, right. There's good, aspects of it where they're learning things um and then there's you know parts that i don't like where um where the, she just like gets into this zone where you could be talking to her like hey i want you to do this for me and it, it just like it doesn't even register and you have to repeat yourself like five times or go over and like threaten to take the tablet away from her <laughs> um yeah uh so you just have to be careful with stuff like that um, but I think she's, the reading has been very good with the Psalms for her too, because she's also learning so much about God. She's, when she reads these Psalms, she learns like all the different things that God does. And, um, I think that's important for young kids. Now, before we really get into the show, uh, just real quickly, I wanted to share this, um, little story here, uh, about St. Patrick, the Enlightener of Ireland. Uh, St. Patrick's, the Enlightener of Ireland, who was born around 385, the son of Calpurnius, a Roman de decurion, an official responsible for collecting taxes. He lived in the village of Bonavem Tavernay, which may have been located at the mouth of the Southern River in Wales. The district was raided by pirates 
when Patrick was 16 and he was one of those taken captive. Could you imagine at 16 years old, a bunch of like crazy pirates raid your town and take you captive? He was brought to Ireland and sold as a slave. Yes, that's right. He was a white slave. Everybody experienced slavery, every race, especially the Irish. Not one racial group has any kind of, um, you know, special ownership on slavery. It wasn't just blacks who were slaves. That's an interesting turn of phrase, by the way. Yeah, right? Ownership of slavery. (laughs) Well, you know, yeah. So he was put to work as a herder of swine on a mountain identified with Slemish and Co. Antrim. During his period of slavery, Patrick acquired a proficiency in the Irish language, which was very useful to him in his later mission. He prayed during his solitude on the mountain and lived this way for six years years he had two visions the first told him he would return to his home the second told him his ship was ready setting off on foot patrick walked 200 miles to the coast there he succeeded in boarding a ship and returned to his parents in britain isn't that wild uh, sometime later, he went to Gaul and studied for the priesthood at Auxerre under St. Germanus. Eventually, he was consecrated as a bishop and was entrusted with the mission to Ireland, succeeding St. Palladius. St. Palladius did not achieve much success in Ireland. After about a year, he went to Scotland, where he died in 432. Patrick had a dream in which an angel came to him bearing many letters, selecting one inscribed the voice of the Irish. He heard the Irish entreating him to come back to them. Although St. Patrick achieved remarkable results in spreading the gospel, he was not the first or only missionary in Ireland. He arrived around 432. Um, About a year after St. Palladius began his mission to Ireland, there were also other missionaries who were active on the southeast coast, but it was St. Patrick who had the greatest influence and success in preaching the gospel of Christ. Therefore, he's known as the Enlightener of Ireland. His autobiographical confession tells of the many trials and disappointments that he endured. Patrick had once confided to a friend that he was troubled by a certain sin he'd committed before he was 15 years old. The friend assured him of God's mercy and even supported Patrick's nomination as bishop. Later, he turned against him and revealed what Patrick had told him in an attempt to prevent his consecration. Many years later, Patrick still grieved for his dear friend who had publicly shamed him. St. Patrick founded many churches and monasteries across Ireland, but the conversion of the Irish people was no easy task. There was much hostility, and he was assaulted several times. He faced danger and insults and was reproached for being a foreigner and a former slave. There was also a very real possibility that the pagans, the Druids, would try to kill him. Despite many obstacles, he remained faithful to his calling and he baptized many people into Christ. 
All right, so we'll move on. I just wanted to tell people that, um, you know, he he would use like that the clover, the three leaf clover, to describe and explain the Trinity to the Irish pagans, and I think that's really interesting. You know, he was just like using the things that they know to explain to them the truth of Christ. That's so cool. Okay, so um, let's go uh, right into it. This is the first thing that um, I wanted to cover tonight about Project Pogo and Project Zypher. David E. Goldberg, what is the truth about Project Pogo and Project Zypher? Something very strange occurred in 2019, months before the outbreak of the coronavirus. A man who went by the name David E. Goldberg and who claimed to have a source in the White House released a series of videos discussing something he described as a massive operation to tag track and identify quote-unquote patriots. Goldberg said he had seen documents on subjects called Project Pogo and Project Zypher. Interestingly, he talked about a widespread virus being used as a cover to target and take out patriots and uh he had said at the time that like this was going to be a, a worldwide thing right like not just in america he claimed an imitation flu-like virus the use of rolling blackouts and the cover of night would set the scene to take patriots from their homes and put them into internment camps. He discussed that the state of Israel was pushing for the U.S. to engage in a war with Iran on their behalf. There are many issues with this story, however. The image that we have of David appears to be a manufactured image and not real. Uh, it, it appears to be one of these kinds of stock images or something that was kind of created by like an AI, at least that's the story. According to people who claim to be his friends, allegedly David was murdered, possibly by poison, for his disclosure of information. There does not appear to be an obituary for him that I can find. We are left uncertain that David was real or whether this was some kind of psyop. The fact remains that a good portion of the information he put out has proven to be rather accurate. The people claiming to be his friends have disclosed what they say are some of his notes said to be found in his apartment. Here are some of the images of these alleged notes. He says important dates. Tom's list. Number one. 11 3 19 12 16 19 4 4 20 10 19 20 ffs with a question mark so i don't know um you know what to make of that uh, i haven't had the time to look up these dates in particular to see if anything um you know occurred on these dates but that's one thing that we can do to try to validate whether this information is true or not. Well, 4-4, four, four, I think that's M-O-K, right? Hmm. 
Um, also, for this- for two, two thousand seventeen, that was the the whole like um, proportionate response and the beautiful missiles uh, for oh, the, wow. the Syrian, Syrian strikes. Oh, um, interesting. And also on four four, and the reason why I bring that up was that um, apparently there was some kind of a chemical weapons ban that was signed by Reagan on four four. What? That's why. That's kind of why they oh, did that. Oh, that's so Trump. creepy. It's yeah. So. Wow. Good lord. So um, this list appears to have dates of potential false flags. Listening to David's voice in his alleged final warnings well before the COVID outbreak is quite chilling. He describes sort of what we're seeing unfolding today. He talked about the world governments working together on this. He discussed the quote-unquote disillusion of the United States. He says the goal is a world government seated in Israel. Israel's role with coronavirus vaccinations is well known, and they are currently being called the quote-unquote vaccination nation. We actually did a show on that the other day uh, with the um, one of the political parties there being targeted because they were, they were against these like vaccines, certainly against the forced vaccines, and they went after the head of the party and revoked his medical license. Um, so here is the video uh, purportedly run by his or uh, the channel that was put together uh, allegedly by his friends um, called Friends of David Goldberg. And so they have these different videos here. Um, this is no longer up on YouTube. This was taken down. But you can see one of them is entitled Iran War Top Rabbi Goes Nuts, Demands U.S. Increase in Troops. Um Man who predicted Iran war dies, David E. Goldberg, uh, David Goldberg's final words, David Goldberg's notes on Project Pogo and Zypher. We have this one here. It says, we will flush Trump down the toilet if there is no war with Iran. And it's a picture of Bibi. Wow. This is a screenshot of some of the videos that were uploaded allegedly by Mr. Goldberg's friends. I do not think these videos are on YouTube any longer. I did look myself, uh, but unfortunately, I was not able to find that channel if it's still around. Now, this image here shows these different um, uh, different screenshots of the different notes that he had. And you can see here it says, ask, and the name is redacted, why Zypher... Um, something or other and then there's these different numbers here missing uh pogo something complete but still time and so these are hard to read because they're um they're so tiny this was the important dates one that we looked at this one says something about uh dot io israel connection um and then there's some other things too here. So I had I was looking at some of these. Um, so these are more of his notes with the acronyms WHI. Um, we think standing for White House Insider, and where it says BQ, standing for maybe big question. Because if you look in his these notes, he sort of has them like. Uh, <sighs> 
it seems like that's what he could be saying. But there's another one that says bitcoinq.org. So I don't know if that's part of this. It says only way out. Email blank, ask for blank by Friday or Saturday. So David said they would attempt to initiate the world government under the guise of a quote unquote financial collapse as a result of shutting down of the world economy. We can look at Biden's massive spending bills as an attempt to accelerate this um, financial collapse, right? So it says Tom's notes on power outages. One, three-day planned for cities over 1 million in size. 37-day outage, safest states. Washington was this is uh, Arkansas, and I can't read these. I think is this could this be Hawaii, Indiana, Maine? I don't know. But this is interesting, though. Three-day planned for cities over one million in size. Weren't we told something about three days of darkness? Hmm. Hmm. Alaska. Thanks, guys. Check out what I just sent you. What did you send me? Is this related? Yeah, Bitcoin Q. Oh, yeah. what's that? You'll see. Okay. How Bitcoin wannabe and pyramid scheme initiative Q plans to turn your data into investor cash. When is this from? 2019. Interesting. Uh, initiative Q wants to be seen as the next Bitcoin, even though its creators are adamant it will be nothing like a cryptocurrency. But despite a polished website detailing its plans, exactly how Initiative Q will usher in the next era of digital payments has remained something of a mystery. That's creepy. Yeah. Wow. Weird. Q's tomorrow's payment network. Huh. Yeah. Oh, it promises users thousands of dollars in future value if they sign up to the payment initiative. So this is like a futures scheme. Yeah, yeah this is a Ponzi scheme. Okay, so that's interesting. And that's what this thing is? Well, they... I'm not saying that's it, but that's what I found. Oh, okay. That's what you found. So we don't know if this is the same thing in his notes. But that is kind of weird, right? Okay, so going back um, here, uh, he discusses a purge of dissidents who are aware of Zionism and what Israel has been doing. This makes me really question the events of January 6th as a cover and pretext for targeting these dissidents. He said there would be food shortages a rise in crime, and then about six months of total financial chaos. Project Pogo, check these notes out. Ancestry DNA used for IDing, um, what is this? 
races for later viral outbreak. Page 18-A shows Shell Company list. Check them on Google. So these were from his notes. He describes the use of an ancestry DNA companies being used to create bioweapons that are specifically targeted for certain ethnic groups or certain individuals. So this can be, by the way, they can uh, now use these kind of DNA ancestry stuff because so many people have done these ancestry kits, right? The 23andMe thing that they now have like all of your genetic information and markers they can tailor bioweapons specifically for you on an individual level then it says um whi we think that's white house insider notes for 426 number one passports will be revoked for patriots on 4420 with a question mark um eight quote unquote safe zones in canada no road access check coordinates so these notes one mm-hmm. oh sorry go, go ahead, ahead. Uh, i was gonna say for this note um just why 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 the the outrage uh, or the um i'm sorry the um why all this production and overplaying and overblowing COVID-19 as a pandemic when it, we know what the survivability rate is, right? Right. Why do that? Why risk all of that? And, and cause they know we'll see it. Right. So why the question I've been going over today is, or, or since we started this discussion today um, is why would they risk exposing that? And to me, it would be just what you said. It's about the data and knowing and think about the case dynamic and all that with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the testing. I mean, th- yeah. it, maybe it's all about the data mining. Oh, I think that could be correct. You know, yeah. And then contact tracing too could be p- tied right into that. You know, it kind of also gives them cover for maybe doing certain operations like this. Oh, we're, we've got to track them because of potential you know, potential COVID stuff. I mean, that could be part of it. And well, have you noticed that even, did you watch, uh, did you see the POTUS interview with uh, Maria, Maria Bartiromo? No, I haven't seen that yet. Did you see the press release where he had, and he said, talked about the vaccine? No. It was very short. It was very short from a couple of days ago. Mm-mm. This is crazy. There was also a tweet he put out just before he left office, before Biden was inaugurated. And that all ties together. It basically said, it made the point, you're welcome USA and the world. This would have taken, we were five years ahead of schedule. Hmm. And he kept putting this out. And what, what I believe in the one of the reasons why we have, you know, legitimately questions about why they took this route with the pandemic and, and the shutdowns. Yeah. Why, why play along? And I, the only conclusion I can come to is that whatever was going on behind the scenes and they figured out was going to be way worse than whatever we just went through with this past year. And now they basically have to be, they're forced to come out of it early. I think, think about the dark yeah. stuff with Biden. And I think that, you know, they, maybe they thought they could, they could try to make a play and they, they put that, that uh, messaging out there again, right. With the dark winter stuff, uh, oh, like yeah. last November, last November, December, mm-hmm. I don't think they, I think they think now they can't get away with it. So they're backing yeah, off a little right? bit. It but, certainly seems like that. 
but I think that the, it's, it's very specific why he said, you know, we shortcutted this. And, and if you go, remember that graphic, um, it was like the 16 year plan had had Barack and Hillary yeah, um, and like a bunch of boxes. America. Yeah. Right. I think that part of a lot of the agenda that they could get uh, done would be with that p- pandemic type of thing. You have shutdowns that takes care of the economic thing that gets them the great reset uh, on its own, just by that, just shutting everything down and having, and having blaming a reason. The other one would be, like you said, the contact tracing and things like that. I think that they really were counting on this going up for a few years um, so that they could run that program and then make that, you know, part of their normal and, and normalize that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that was shortcutted by the decision to just go ahead and basically they, you know, if they thought, Oh, it's going to get to the point we got a million dead in a year in less than a year. Oh, now we're going to shut it down. Now think about what he did. He shut it down right away. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it really sort circuited it to the point where the feedback loop was, all they could do is just keep testing for cases. Well, yeah, we, that's and, true. Then now, and then they made the decision. Well, we can't keep doing this because we, we're not getting any more deaths rates. And this and that. So <laughs> right? they're like, well, so people might start to, to notice up. no one's right. dying so, of the flu. <laughs> so then we year. got the PCR tests that, that back off. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, 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 would like answers for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that whatever was planned, I'm basing this mostly on um, just the inexplicability of it, right? Why do that? But then also the persistence of that particular statement in line. We, we, we basically saved four years of going through something worse by trying to rush through and try to get to the vaccine, which was ultimately what they wanted to do, which was their passport, right? Their vaccine passport. Yes. And the real ID and if, stuff. And if, it, and if it would have taken four years, imagine people would have been, I mean, people are already clamoring for it right now, but think of how, oh think God, of how many more people would have gone through with it just to get back to, to whatever, right? Yeah. So it's this whole thing, forcing them to not do the slow boil. That's a good their, point. Uh, it makes everything visible. Yeah. I mean, cause people were mad. Like people were saying yesterday in live chat, like he went on Fox and talked about the vaccine again. And people are like angry about that. But if it is like what you're saying that it is, then it might make sense that, that he's continuing to put that messaging out there because it, it, it kind of short circuits this idea that you have to keep the country shut down. Well, if these vaccines are done, what, what else are they waiting for? Like, why not open the country back up? Anyone who's already had it wouldn't need a vaccine anyways. You know what I mean? So that would mean there's a very short amount, a small amount of people that would need it. And that shouldn't take that long. So they can't justify really keeping it locked down for much longer. Um, But I also think about, like you said, with that graphic, the 16 year plan to destroy America, what was one of the things on there, a mass extinction level event. And so I think, I mean, that sort of sounds like um, what um, David here is describing, right? You, you know, using this thing to go to target like millions of people and who knows, they might still try to do something with like a, a second strain or a mutation or blah, blah, blah. We don't know. Um, 
but that is interesting. Well, the last point of, for that would be, we know how hard it hit the, the seniors, but maybe part of this other strategy was now that we know that there, there's such a, such a big uh, component of obesity versus, and, and, and with, uh, with the, with the death rate, I think that that is another reason why they decided to, to just because think about how much worse it would have been. Oh yeah. We, you know, so I, I, I do believe that those, those not, you know, this, the, the actual factor scale factor. I do think that when he said, okay, we were saving millions of lives. I, I do believe that. I think that, but based on the scale that like the way that they say now it's 500,000 where we know what the real number is. Yeah. I, I think it's on those levels, but I think that really you probably would have maybe had like a hundred, you know, a couple hundred thousand legitimate, um, if we hadn't done what we did. But again, that's, it's, you know, this is all Monday morning quarterbacking stuff. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. So, um, what I find interesting about this is saying passports will be revoked for Patriots. Um, and he's got a little date here. He talks about safe zones in Canada. So, this is interesting. Um, passports of patriots would be revoked. We're already seeing this stuff happening, right? We're um, uh, patriots are being put on like no fly lists, right? Um, and this is happening with people who ran for office. Uh, Lauren Witzke is one of the people who's been put on a no fly list, and she said not only that, but she's she's harassed by like. Um, all of these security people, when she goes into to the airport, um, we also know there are checkpoints in Canada under the guise of COVID. So I don't know what the safe zones is referring to. Um, this note here, Project Zypher, TTID, tag track, 15 million Americans, targeted virus, bank and loan seizures, elimination, executions. So TTID, tag, track, and identify. That's what that stands for. And so he's saying 15 million Americans, they wanted to target with this virus, uh, you know, genetically, I guess. And then he says bank and land seizures. So we, I don't think we've seen anything like land seizures yet, but we have seen people's bank accounts be frozen or um, shut down and like taken away from them. Elimination and executions. So um, listening to David's alleged final warnings are extremely disturbing now. At the time these were released, COVID would not be inflicted on the world for another six or seven months. When I heard this at the time, I kind of dismissed it, thinking there's no way they would pull something as ostentatious as this off. This article from uh, September of 2020, flatten the curve, number 53, mass die-off, cyanide, and zypher, goes into far more detail regarding David Goldberg's information and story. Like me, the author doesn't buy everything Goldberg said and questions who or what he really was. Yet also like me, they seem now to grasp the importance of what was being put out by David now that it is coming to pass. I encourage you to read and watch the videos included below. So this is, I have a link there to this guy's kind of take on this stuff. And then I have some videos here um, 
that uh, talk about this. So I'm going to play part of this um, American extermination. Oh, wait, I can't. I've got to bring it up in a different um, browser. Hang on. And then we're going to play it. Because I do find this very interesting. And, um, you know, we don't really know, like, who this guy was. But it's weird that he was saying that stuff, at, like, before coronavirus. It's just, like, very eerie, I would say. Okay. June 2019. Hello, everyone. This is David Kohlberg again. This is probably going to be one of my most important videos that I've done yet. We're going to discuss a couple of things, uh, new things that have come up. I have received uh, classified documents from my White House insider, and we also have some memos that I've referenced in the past, and I'm going to walk through everything that I've been deciphering and learning from these videos, excuse me, from the documents that I've received. So, We'll get into this, the crux of it. I want to just introduce you right right away. What is it all about? This is it. This is what the documents reveal. There are too many people waking up. There are too many Americans, more and more of them, that are suspicious of Israel. More and more Americans aware of Zionism. This has been around for decades and decades. You go back to the 50s, 60s, there's a, a lot of literature about Zionism, about Judaism. It's not unusual, but the difference is today, more and more people are waking up to it. It's been a real tipping point where you have, you always had maybe about half a percent of the population that was aware of Zionism, uh, that did not like Jews and whatnot, but they were never part of the mainstream. They were always dismissed as conspiracy theorists. They had no influence. So they were not really a threat. But that has changed. And you know that has changed. Anyone paying attention knows that has changed. We have seen a big change in... Uh, comment sections on YouTube, many people making references to Zionism. It has become a part of the nomenclature through the influence of 8chan, 4chan, many, many websites, and ultimately many, many YouTube channels that have been speaking the truth very aggressively uh, for many years, but it has really gotten attention lately. It is somewhat of a uh, cumulative effect. 
a snowball effect where more and more people start to wake up to the truth and the facts and it just expands and people become more accepting of it and they start to say, okay, it's okay for me to look at the information. I'm not an anti-Semite for looking at it. Uh, and it, it really starts to click for people. So this has been a big change in the recent past few years. What happened is that Israel, its agents, its propagandists, have been playing very, very, very close attention to this over the past few years. They know this is happening. They are very concerned about it. We're talking about 0.5% of Americans who have some idea of Zionism and they're against it and they understand it. That number, according to these documents, is now about, I saw two numbers. They said 15%, and another one said 7%, but that is a very large number of Americans that are, have woken up to what's going on with Israel and, and Zionism and the Israeli lobby and the influence. They're unafraid to hate Israel. That number is very high, and it is them very concerned. This is much of what the classified documents talk about, but we'll get into that more. I wanted to set it up for you so you actually understand what this is really about. What I was given from the White House Insider, the main part that you really need to know, though, is they have a plan for all of this. So I'm going to talk about that now. There is discussion within these documents uh, years ago to ban the YouTube channels, to shut it down, all of that. But they changed course. They made a decision to do something completely different, and they decided instead of censoring everything to fund and promote gatekeeper channels, shill channels, to simply gather and collect all the open-minded people who are looking at the issue. And they did shut down some of the legitimate channels, and that has actually happened. If you're following some of that, you are aware that there have been channels that have been shut down, almost completely eliminated. Some of those channels were not a part of the original gatekeeper channels. They have no connection. They are truth-telling channels. Some of those they've eliminated that they felt were a threat or that might be calling out the gatekeeper channels. So, I'm just looking through some of the documents here and seeing what I want to talk about next. One really interesting aspect of all this is that the gatekeeper channels and the shield channels, typically these would be disinfo channels. Uh, disinfo channels like Alex Jones, for example, has been a long time disinfo Zionist channel. Very, very active in dis deflecting people away from Zionism. Alex Jones talks about everything, but he never talks about Israel. So that is an active disinfo channel that's been around forever. What they created with these new gatekeeper channels is 
truthful channels. They're very honest. They don't put out a lot of disinfo. They are actually legitimate. And that is done to, to give them credibility among these people who are awake, who are waking up. That was very specifically done, the documents to talk about that. Now I'm going to talk about what is the purpose of the whole operation. And the purpose of this is to, to put out truthful channels, to attract people to them. They call it tag, track, and ID. It is a term used throughout the documents, TTID. It's something you want to remember. This is very uh, common throughout these documents. They refer to it all the time. So what does that tell you? They want to tag. They want to track you, and they want to identify who you are. If you are watching these channels, if you are informed, if you are awake on these issues, they want to tag you, they want to track you, and they want to know exactly who you are. They want to know, and uh, it talks about the uh, tracking people's IP addresses through YouTube. They have access to YouTube. They do know who you are. So this is discussed a lot in the documents. I'm just looking through it right now. And there are two projects, and it's very important to, to li listen to this. Project Pogo is one of them, and Project Zypher. I will spell that one. Z-Y-P-H-R. Project Pogo and Project Zypher are... The two projects uh, that the classified documents are referring to, and each has a different role. Project Pogo is about the YouTube gatekeepers, how they are all agents. They are all paid to put out truthful information so that they can tag, track, and ID the people that are watching the videos and giving them likes and giving them comments. They're tracking all of it. Project Zypher is a different project, and that's what I'll talk about in a bit. That is the second stage here. That is coming up, and that is the extermination. They're going to exterminate these people, whether it is tag them for anti-Semitic speech, charge them with crimes, Eliminate them completely, and this is where I'll talk about in the documents where they talk about guillotines, viral attacks, targeted, how they're going to eliminate these people without too much suspicion, without too many people noticing. But here's the problem. As I read the documents, I can see I have documents from four years ago, I have documents from two years ago, and then I have documents from three months ago. So there's a progression in the timeline as the projects change. And Project Zypher has changed. In the beginning, they have been talking, they were talking a lot about, okay, we are going to infect these people with a virus that uh, imitates the flu virus. They're going to eliminate them in various ways that would not be suspicious. In the, in the documents I have now from three months ago, they are saying the amount of people they have to eliminate is too large. It is too many. We are talking about millions of Americans. And this is where we see their plans are changing. 
and they are going to initiate something that is devastating and that is extremely frightening. And based on what I can see in the documents, we're talking about power outages along with a purge. They're going to come in, they're going to take you out of your home, and they're going to put you into a uh, military vehicle or whatever, a van, and drive you away and place you into a camp. It is a very, very big operation that they're planning. It is millions of Americans. They will do it under the cover of night, under the cover of blackness, during one of these planned blockouts. The blockouts are, based on the documents, I'm, gonna, I'm just looking at it right now, they have a three-day blackout. They have a nationwide blackout that lasts two days and a lot of localized blackouts. So it is a whole series of blackouts that they're going to do. And, of course, it will be blamed on all kinds of things. They might blame it on Iran. I have seen that mentioned in the documents. They've already prepped people for this. They're going to be more. What have they been blaming the cyber attacks on? Russia, Iran, just saying. Now, the voice, um, I don't know if you agree. Um, do you remember um, Homestar Runner? No, what's that? <laughs> it's, it's an old thing from the from the late '90s. It was like internet. Uh, there's this character, Strong Bad, that uh, had this thing. It was like reading emails. I put a, after we get done with this. I don't want because I don't want to take the rest of it for the rest of the people here. But if, if anyone else out there, they probably see it. It almost sounds like Jim Watkins uh, doing an imitation of Strong Bad. Um, but we, we'll, I put something in the Zoom chat. We can do that after we go through this. But. Uh, um, but what I, the point being is that I, I get the feeling this guy is not, he's either bilingual or not a native English speaker. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it could be that he was, that he was Israeli. I mean, we don't really know, but yeah, somebody said his voice sounds like Netanyahu. That also could be because he's Israeli. I mean, that they, that, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've known some Armenians and a very similar speech pattern. Yeah, exactly. But if you're listening, that uh, this was put out before COVID. That's what's so disturbing about it, right? And before some of the blackouts that have already occurred, the power outages. Look what happened in Texas. Uh, this this is bizarre. You have to admit, there's something um, very creepy about it. So just saying, um, we'll play uh, some more of this and then we'll, we'll move on to the rest of the stuff I want to cover. But, you know, the, the point is, is that we don't really know, um, you know, the truth about this guy. I mean, we know that he was putting out this information uh, in early of 2019 and then all this stuff with COVID started to happen. I remember listening to this back then and just thinking oh yeah right like that's not gonna happen and you know now looking back i'm like well let's give that another listen you know <laughs> blockouts are already uh, predictive programming so we may see more of this uh, as we go on as far as i can tell from project zephyr or zephyr they are planning this next year 
and the year after. They are not done tagging, tracking, and identifying everyone. I, it looks like they're at about 78%. I looked in the documents, and there were a couple of indications of how long, far along they feel in the project is. They're like 78% done, but they're not completely done. It, it does take time to identify a, a YouTube account and then track it to the email that it was created with and then the IP address and then find out who created it. It does take them a lot of time to do that. It is not instant. It does take a lot of research because a lot of people create a YouTube account with an email address that doesn't give any indication of who they are. Uh, an account name that doesn't have their full name on it. They don't use their real pictures. So it is a challenge for them. That's why the project has been going on for so long. But it is coming to a close. In the next six months to a year, it appears it is coming to a close. And that is when Project Zypher will be initiated. So I have some notes here. I'm going to continue on and talk a little bit more about Right. They're being tracked. They're being identified. That's the whole point. A lot of people have said, well, why are some of these YouTube channels allowed to exist? Why are they allowed to so openly talk about the truth? And some of you might know uh, Adam Green, uh, No More News, and there are a whole bunch of others, and they're very, very open about Zionism, and they're very honest about it. And they're telling the truth. I mean, they are telling the truth. They're not hiding anything. They're not disinfo. They're not putting disinfo out there. But as far as I know, they are part of, I mean, they're all a part of this operation. I can't spe say specifically if Adam Green is a part of it or not. But I would assume possibly he is. He has probably been guaranteed a lot of money. He's probably been promised a lot of things. He's probably, he could be a Freemason. He could be a part of their operation. He could be an agent. I don't know. But I have no idea. It is total speculation on my part. I have no idea. All I know is this is part of the operation, what they want to do. His channel would fit into the MO. It is an example I'm giving. He is there to tag, track, and ID. Not him specifically, but the people behind the operation who are doing all the research and all the people who are commenting and viewing and liking, they want to know who they are, they want to know where they live, and they are going to eliminate them at a date in the future, completely eliminate them. This is going way beyond the idea of passing laws to ban speech, which they're already doing. They've done it in America already, but not very aggressively, and we will see more legislation of that nature. But they want to completely eliminate these people because they do stand in the way of the agenda. There are too many people that are waking up. It is way too many for them to handle. They're starting to have an influence and they're starting to change the conversation online. It is of grave concern to Israel. Something that the memos that I received, we'll talk a little bit about the memos. The memos are different from this classified documents. The memos are White House internal memos that discuss a wide range of things in terms of Trump's meeting with rabbis, uh, discussions with Netanyahu over the phone. And one of the memos says that Donald Trump will have to declare himself king of Israel publicly. This is part of 
the process for them. It, it doesn't. Uh, there's no strategic reason for it. It is symbolic for them. Trump is going to declare himself king of Israel at some point. I don't know how, but they're talking about it in these memos over and over again. When he's going to do it, why he want, why they want him to do it, which again is symbolic. It has no strategic purpose apparently. It is part of the process of what of the end game, basically, is what I'm saying. So we'll see if that happens or not. It, will, it sounds ridiculous. I can't imagine him actually saying it. But maybe he will do something like that. We will look out for that uh, in, the, in the coming months. Uh, based on my reading of the classified documents on the memos, so much of what is going on is planned. They've given people the impression that Trump has brought chaos to politics, but it's actually opposite. It has been planned. Donald Trump's allegiance is to Israel. He's not only a Jew, he is a Freemason. They have promised him his daughter, the sons, will enjoy a very high level ranking within the world government that they are forming, the capital which will be Jerusalem. So that is why Trump is so dedicated to following the script, while performing the way that he does. It appears to be very authentic to his followers. Everything he's done, talking about the wall to the fake news, was scripted from the beginning around 2014 and 2015. And according to some of the memos I'm reading, he loved it. They introduced all of this to him and he loved it. They told him the plan, you're going to become president, you're going to say this and this and this. He loved it. He's already a little bit of a racist. He's already predisposed to some of this rhetoric so he loved it he jumped on board and they promised him great things especially for his family if he were to follow through on these things and simply follow okay so i want to pause and make a comment here because i see some comments in live chat you know as i said in my article, I don't agree with everything that uh, David says here, but I find some of it very interesting. And so, you know, you have to get beyond this like idea if somebody says one thing that you don't like, uh, that you dismiss every single thing that they're saying. Maybe he was given false information. We don't know. But it certainly seems like some of it that he information he was given turned out to at least be true, right? In in early 2019, he was talking about this like we're gonna, you know, target these people with a, a flu-like virus and then COVID happens. Uh, you can't really just dismiss that stuff. And also what he talked about with like the the um the gatekeeping channels. Uh, and this idea of them being allowed to operate because of the, they wanted to like track the people who was watching this stuff, right? That is certainly a possibility. We don't really know. So I find it very interesting. Yeah, you have to hear everything and you have to um, uh, decide, you know, what you, if you agree with it or, or not, you know, what parts resonate with you, what parts do not, 
you know, I, I think that there's value in that. And so, you know, you can't believe everything you hear, but you also can't discount everything somebody's saying because they say one thing that you don't like or don't agree with. That is how they run and control things by keeping us in these, um, dogmatic, uh, positions or we're on the the red team or the blue team and if we're a democrat we don't question anything democrats do and the black and white thinking bad guys yeah you can't think like that uh that's how they do this stuff and that's how they operate so we're going to move on um we're down to just 50 minutes left Uh, This video here is with uh, Brother Nathaniel and Jeff Rentz. They're talking about his final message because he put out several recordings. So there's another one, too. You can listen to all of these um, on your own. Uh, So that this one here, the, the bit shoot video, that's like an hour and 30 minutes long. That takes like, um, some of the things David was saying in 2019, and then it like uses uh, recent news clips and information it's playing like in between, right? So you can kind of see like, oh, he was talking about this. And then here's a news clip of them like basically saying the same thing. So in closing, I will reiterate that we do not know if David was even a real person. Although listening to him speaking, he seems to have a good grasp on many topics. We do not know if this was some sort of psyop on the truth community or not. We have yet to see any information regarding his death, and therefore we face many unknowns. You should listen for yourself and decide what you think about the information itself. Does this ring true to you? Does some of it ring true? Does this information have value to you? Is this really, if this really was David's final warning to the world, don't you think we should honor him by sounding the alarm as widely as possible and at least sharing uh, what he was talking about? And if he really did have a, um, uh, a source in the white house could that person have been giving him legitimate information um mixed in with some fake information because that tends to be how these people work in the beltway where they'll they'll be a a, to, to be a source for somebody you have to give them some real and legitimate and truthful information just to keep them putting it out there right if you're not giving them anything valuable no one's going to want to use you as a source. So what they tend to do is give out some truth and then include some falsehoods as well. And I think that that could have been what was going on with David. And then perhaps, I don't know, maybe he started to catch on and they decided to assassinate him and poison him. Uh, His name was David Elias Goldberg. And so you can listen to this though um, and you decide what to think about. I think you should know about this, though, that just the fact that there was somebody talking about all this stuff before coronavirus, before dark winter, before we even heard that term, before the rolling blackouts began, before Klaus Schwab said cyber pandemic, right? So I think that that's um, 
important for people to know. And I wanted to put it out there because I remembered hearing that and then just thinking, well, I don't know what to make of this. And then listening to it again. And there's more than one um, recording. Uh, There's several of them. And now it's extremely hard to find. It's certainly hard to find on uh, YouTube. You know, I had to go on to BitChute to find um, a lot of this. And so uh, if you just do like a search for David Goldberg into YouTube, what comes up is like uh, Sheryl Sandberg's husband who died, who also was named David Goldberg. So he comes up a lot and it's really hard to find this stuff. You know, one of the thought, you know, when they said that they were allowing, you know, allowing these things to go and then basically tracking and tacking, mm-hmm. um, think about if you go to YouTube right now and try to run the search and you try to find something on 9-11, you can't find it unless no. you have a, the original link or a play- playlist or anything like that. And even your playlist, if you go to them, there are a lot of the deleted the videos are put to private. Yes. Um, so like you cannot even find anything anymore. And I think that that was kind of like letting everything go out, letting it spread and then just cutting it off and cutting the root off. You know what I mean? Like that, I think they, and the same thing kind of happened we saw with like, you know, and this would be, you know, the same thing you'd say, like putting all your eggs in one basket, as far as like platforms, we, we find out like YouTube and things like that. And like, same kind of thing. They let you be there. They let you be comfortable and they let everyone, this is the only way you could find this person. And then all of a sudden they take that away. And then that, that basically it's like, you know, you know, going through and like weeding a garden, right. Or for in their view, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just quickly, uh, this is just the way my brain works. Um, do you mind playing just a f- small sample of that uh, video, just so people can hear the just the voice similarity? <laughs> That's like, like oh, <laughs> the thing you put into a uh, Zoom chat. Yeah, because this is because like I'm an I'm an audio guy, and so I'm really good with like voices, especially. <laughs> so like I I can like just check it out and the, all i heard this the whole time was uh jim watkins doing a, a, a impression of strong bad here it's the email the email what what the email hey strong bad you like techno at all if you do what kind silent j oh very clever well it's not really my style but i heard a techno song one time that went like Doom, 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 doom. And then this other part came in and it was like, and then there's always some kind of high pitched noise, you know, or like a siren that's like, and of course they have to put in the obligatory old movie quote from some sci fi movies like, the system is down, the system is down, the system is down, the system is down, the cheat is grounded. We had that light switch installed for you so you could turn the lights on and off. Not so you could throw light switch raves. Now let's go break open that glow stick and pour it into Homestar Runner's Mountain Dew. I heard they have to pump your stomach when you drink that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that uh this is back when you there wasn't this is before YouTube. This was like a website that people just this person just posted these videos to back in like late 90s early 2000s. 
Oh my goodness. So this is like, you know, if you, anyone recalls, like that's the kind of internet stuff that was just passed around word of mouth through AOL chats and dial-ups. That's hilarious. Okay, so let's see. For the people in live chat, you know, your people are allowed to have like disagreements and different opinions. We, we don't all have to believe the same things, right? Does everybody have to think exactly the same to be a patriot? No, I don't think that that's true. And so, um, you know, we're, we're not enforcing dogmatic um, groupthink here. That's silly. That's what the left does. That's not what we do. And so, um, you know, it, by the way, truth does not fear inquiry, does it? If it's true, it would be obvious and it can withstand rigorous questioning. We've had this discussion many times. And so, um, you know, yeah, dialogue and debate are good to grow. That's right, Chris. And so people are allowed to have different opinions. And like, we don't need to be attacking each other over differences in opinion. That's silly. All right. So um, I, I put this out. I don't know how many people are interested in like linguistics and philosophy, um, but why not? Uh, okay. So I published this article today on Wittgenstein's philosophy of linguistics. Um, Ludwig Wittgenstein has been considered by many one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. He was certainly an interesting character and someone who was more than a little eccentric. If you've heard of Wittgenstein, you can put a one into live chat. Um, modern writers have questioned whether he was perhaps on the autism spectrum or might have suffered from Asperger's. Wittgenstein's ideas have influenced many modern writers and philosophers, including the late and great David Foster Wallace. It was through Wallace that I first discovered Wittgenstein from his book, The Broom of the System. Wallace used literary fiction to try to grapple with and tackle timeless philosophical questions while still providing a story that's speaks to our culture in time. In considering Wittgenstein's contributions to philosophy, Adrian of the Quintessential Mind writes, his role in the development of analytic philosophy wasn't just central, but also pivotal, for he devoted his life in the examination of one of the most cognitively demanding areas of human interest, that of language. Language constitutes the most powerful tool we have invented in order to communicate with each other, express ourselves, and evolve our perception. But the essence of words and the use of language can be quite perplexing and can lead to anomalies in the way we operate within our social systems. Language is like a living organism. It changes, it evolves, it has different forms, it can be interpreted in different ways. Wittgenstein was fascinated by that, and he truly believed that with the use of logic, language can become more clear and more useful. This was his obsession. 
but also what tormented him throughout his life. His ideas possessed a gravity that felt unprecedented to almost all of his readers. Most didn't understand him, but the ones that did opened their minds to a world full of clarity and reason. His life was quite tumultuous since his involvement with logic almost drove him mad. His mental anguish led him away from Cambridge. He went to Norway for a while, then volunteered for the Austro-Hungarian army in the First World War. War changed him. Uh, he became more mystical and more ascetic, and this could be identified in his behavior. In 1918, he took military leave, and he completed his first important work, Tractatus Logio Philosophicus. The Tractatus was published in 1922 in an attempt from Wittgenstein to present a solution to the problems of philosophy that are connected with language, thought, and representation. It is a short, mind-boggling, and mind-bending work. Wittgenstein's book, Tractatus, is a very interesting read. Initially, it can come off as pretentious and overly vague, but the more one considers what is being said, the more one can appreciate what Ludwig, Ludwig was trying to convey. Here are some examples of how Wittgenstein was grappling with concepts using linguistics meaning and usage. Quote, empirical reality is limited by the totality of objects. The boundary appears again in the totality of elementary propositions. Unquote. Some of the things he was mulling over were how language can form reality, but also the limitations of language, how something can be diminished by attempting to describe it and explain it with words. He considered that without the words or language to describe something, how can one conceive of it in the first place? One can conclude, therefore, that the potentiality can be restricted by the imposition and limitations of linguistics. Quote, the sense of a proposition is its agreement and disagreement with the possibilities of the existence and non-existence of the atomic facts, unquote. Sometimes his writing can be abstruse and difficult. Quote, ethics and aesthetics are one. We feel that even if all possible scientific questions can be answered, the problems of life have still not been touched at all. My propositions are elucidatory in this way. He who understands me finally recognizes them as senseless when he has climbed out through them, on them, over them. He must, so to speak, throw away the ladder after he has climbed up on it. He must surmount these propositions. Then he sees the world rightly, whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must be silent." Unquote. These are some examples of concepts he touched upon in his book Tractatus, but you easily sense his esoteric flair. He wanted people to be more thoughtful and precise in the words they were using. If thoughts were too vague, he reasoned, it left them open to multiple interpretations, 
easily leading to what he deemed nonsense. Wittgenstein took some time away from philosophy for a while, then returned to the subject again with his next work. In this work, he began to tackle subjects like logic, mathematics, propositions, consciousness, and understanding. But language still played a key role in what he termed his philosophical investigations. Here is when he started developing the notions of things like language games, where meanings and usage are important. If language is being used to paint a picture, the words that are employed matter, and the entire picture can change if the usage is changed. He seemed to be concerned primarily with clarity of thought. He believed language could complicate as much as it could clarify, and that it was incumbent upon us to be certain that we understand this. He felt that so many fancy words could say very little of substance in reality, but conversely, very limited word use could easily convey something quite profound. An article that I think conveys the heart of Wittgenstein's philosophy comes from J.N. Nielsen entitled, The Limits of My Language Are the Limits of My World. Quote, one of the many famous aphorisms that have been plucked out of Wittgenstein's Tractatus is the limits of my language are the limits of my world. Like much in the Tractatus, this gnomic aphorism invites interpretation and can never be exhausted. One way to construe this Wittgensteinism very broadly would be to think of it as the limits of my idiom are the limits of my world, with idiom construed broadly to include any way of talking about the world and not merely a particular language. If you're a continental persuasion, you could say the limits of my discourse are the limits of my world. It amounts to pretty much the same thing. I've talked about this like a lot. This yeah. is, if you, if you are not able to conceive of something, it, this is like that invisibility thing. So it's outside of your realm of, of being able to describe or even including it in your thought processes. Once that happens, that it basically is invisible. And this is kind of, you know, dancing around the same idea. Yeah. I thought you would like this. <laughs> I thought this was kind of up your alley. Particular theories about the world are idioms for talking about the world, forms of discourse, if you will. Scientific theories are scientific idioms for talking about the world. Now, scientific theories often broaden our horizons and allow us to see and to understand things of which we were previously unaware. But a scientific theory, being a particular idiom as it is, may also limit us and limit the way we see the world. The limitations we take upon ourselves by thinking in terms of particular theories or speaking in particular ways are human limits that we've chosen for ourselves. They're not intrinsic limitations imposed upon us by the world. And this, of course, is something Wittgenstein wanted to bring to our explicit 
explicit attention. We very frequently mistake the idioms we employ and the particular ways in which we understand these idioms to constitute the very fabric of the world, when in this frame of mind, we make claims for our theories that are not supported by the theories themselves, but rather reflect our particular limited understanding of very difficult matters. This has been the case with the general theory of relativity and quantum theory, both of which are very young sciences, but which now dominate physics. Because of the dominant position of these theories and of particular interpretations of these theories, we forget how young they are and how far we have to go in really coming to an adequate understanding of them. Our adequate understanding of quantum theory in particular has been glossed so many times by physicists seeking to give a popular account of quantum theory that one might be forgiven for supposing that quantum theory is a form of mysticism rather than of science. For example, for those who are not shocked when they first come across quantum theory cannot possibly have understood it. Niels Bohr, it is inevitable that as our understanding of the world gradually and incrementally improves, much in quantum theory that now seems inscrutable will eventually make sense to us rather than the theory being a mere systematization of a mystery. Progress in understanding quantum theory will as implied by Scully, ultimately take the form of being able to discuss it in natural language and to formulate the theory in an intuitively perspicuous manner. We do not yet have the language or concepts to do this, but each advance, like the recent results reported in science, bring us a little closer, chipping away at the limits of our, our language that currently constitute the limits of our world. So it's talking about uh, coming to a natural language to discuss something. I think that's interesting. Nielsen elucidates something very important that Wittgenstein was trying to convey, and that is that we often limit ourselves by the language we are using to explicate our worldview. Wittgenstein said philosophy is a battle against the bewitchment of our intelligence by means of our language. By this, he's hinting at the issue he first saw was pre with predominant philosophy and how it approached understanding our world. In a piece entitled Wittgenstein, Reality is Shaped by the Worlds We Use, FS Blog seeks to delve deeper into where Ludwig was going. Philosopher Bertrand Russell described Wittgenstein as the most perfect example I have ever known of genius as traditionally conceived, passionate, profound, intense, and dominating. So this continues on. You can read the rest of this if that's something you're interested in. I want to move on now, though, because I want to go to the next thing. But we'll skip down to the conclusion, though. But just um, before you go to that, um, yes. uh, as far as I... Um, one of the mis most misused words um, is occult because it's really it's a it's a verb uh, from Latin, right? It's mm -hmm. it means the, the hidden. But think people people say the occult, meaning occult is evil. I mean, things that are occulted can be evil, but just saying that something is occult does not necessarily evil. And so that's you know what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So, I mean, it means like so, hidden. So, that's all. Right, but the the 
that's that's kind of what they're going along with is like the words and what in the way that you associate with them um and and especially if you cling to something um yeah. with like it's it's meaning when it's not necessarily the the the, the it, it has a colloquial term uh, you know then that but we're being an example right people mm-hmm. use that a lot colloquially but in reality that's not specifically exactly true what it means yeah right that's right so it's like so it's like that that i, that I think this is he's kind of getting at those words especially when you're talking about these particular logical pathways you have to be very specific and very precise and that every single word choice matters i think that's what he was getting after yeah i think so i mean he, down here it's summarized like reality is shaped by the words we use so um building on this the narratives we use determine how we approach a problem consequently how we evaluate our view of the world. The Democrats implicitly understand this, and this is why they strive to maintain an ironclad stranglehold over the media and the mainstream or official narrative. In effect, by coercion, they are forcing people to accept the limitations imposed by the left's worldview and language games. Wittgenstein believed traditional philosophers had caused tremendous confusion with their failure to understand the pictorial nature of language. He felt that philosophers who delve into things like metaphysics need to distinguish between sense and nonsense by use of clear and concise language. And so I think that's something we often talk about uh, as well is the how the left understands these things and this is why they have to control the narrative well think about the buzzwords think about when you know they say our democracy how it triggers people and and the repetition and the neurologistic stuff this is it's because they're they're basically (laughs) putting those little invisible walls in the boxes of their little narrative world and putting all the people in that mental box yeah they're trapping them that's exactly because they're, what they're because doing. they're because they're distorting what they really mean, yeah. And, and using the, and using them in a way, it, 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 it kind of it's like a mental. Well, I know gaslighting is all mental, but I mean they're literally like gaslighting the meanings of words. Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, James Bishop discusses Wittgenstein's theory of language and breaks it down into several categories. Um, the language is social. Wittgenstein argued that a word can only have meaning within the context of human activity. In philosophical investigations, he states that the traditional notion of the meaning of a word being an object it refers to cannot be true. Wittgenstein asks readers to imagine some Someone growing up alone on an island. This person might use the sound red and green to distinguish between certain colors, but if he misused the sounds, he would not be aware of his mistakes. What this person lacks is a community of language users. Words require rules, and rules are necessarily public shared conventions. Um, Wittgenstein compared language to chess. If one does not know how to play, then he cannot even begin playing. Same with language, which itself requires rules and a knowledge of these rules. So um, 
we'll scroll down a little bit. Language follows rules. I think this is obvious. As noted, language is social and follows rules. For example, to understand the word queen in a game of chess, one must know that a certain piece should be used in a certain way and not in others. The same is true of all words. To grasp the meaning of words, one needs to know the rules of their use. The word art seems to represent a single thing when, in fact, it describes a wide range of activities and activities that do not have a single essential thing in common. Wittgenstein called this overlapping similarity family resemblances. When, for example, a person says that pizza was a work of art, he's playing a particular language game in which the word art means something more like perfection or magnificent. However, when a person refers to the art of painting, he plays a different game in which art means something more like profession or expertise. Language, reasoned Wittgenstein, possesses no essential essential structure, but is instead a network of interrelated language games, a view which caused him to reverse his view expressed in Tractatus. Well, think about how we use sarcasm. That's a game that you have to be privy to if you if you didn't understand sarcasm you would take everything literally right yeah so it's that's 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 a you know another way to look at it yeah that's true Wittgenstein's theory that language is social is very interesting, meaning that as a group, we come to agree on definitions and rules for linguistics. He set about to debunk his own previous beliefs and those of earlier philosophers. This influenced a group of logical positivists to try to debunk what they called pseudo-statements in an effort to get to an understanding on the limits of meaningful language. Wittgenstein himself went on to debunk his earlier theories and that of the logical positivists claiming that rigidity and static beliefs were not healthy. Dr. Tim Rainier says of Wittgenstein's work, quote, Wittgenstein's teaching has practical value. Why waste time arguing over issues that will never be resolved when the whole thing could be deflated with a simple question? Are we even talking about the same thing? If you struggle to overcome the urge to define things too carefully or find yourself becoming obsessed about the meaning of words and their true definition, or if you are convinced, like many philosophers, that the existence of a word logically implies some metaphysical essence or platonic form that corresponds to this word, remember that what gives a word meaning is the conventional social discourse within which it is employed. By attending to the ordinary language contexts that give words their meaning, we can avoid misusing them and trying to make them mean things that they aren't made to mean. The more that we return words to their home, seeing them in terms of the ordinary language context they work within, the easier it becomes to untie the knots in language and understand what is really being said. 
Rainier believes the main value arising from Wittgenstein's philosophical work is the concept of clarity and the basic use of communication. That is being certain in the social context that what we are saying is clear in the language being used. Finally, I will leave you with some of Wittgenstein's quotes that I hope you'll find stimulating and perhaps encourage some of you to explore your own views and levels of clarity. Nothing is so difficult as not deceiving oneself, <laughs> right? A man will be imprisoned in a room with a door that's unlocked and opens inward, as long as it does not occur to him to pull rather than push. Death is not an event in life. We do not live to experience death. If we take eternity to mean not infinite temporal duration, but timelessness, then eternal life belongs to those who live in the present. Our life has no end in the way in which our visual field has no limits. To imagine a language is to imagine a form of life. What can be shown cannot be said. At the core of all well-founded beliefs lies belief that is unfounded. <laughs> a picture held us captive and we could not get outside it for it lay in our language and language seemed to repeat it to us inexorably. Philosophers are often like little children who first scribble random lines on a piece of paper with their pencils and now ask an adult, what is that? Our greatest stupidities may be very wise. <laughs> the aspects of things that are most important for us are hidden because of their simplicity and familiarity. One is unable to notice something because it is always before one's eyes. The real foundations of his inquiry do not strike a man at all. Ambition is the death of thought. If you use a trick in logic, whom can you be tricking other than yourself? <laughs> I thought that those are pretty funny, um, funny quotes of his. And I think it really uh, describes, you know, the kinds of things that that he thought and the sort of issues that he had with some some philosophers and um, the confusion he thought that they were creating uh, through the use of their language. Okay, so um, that is up uh, on the main PSB website. Uh, that's at the top right now. And the next thing I want to read um, comes from Freeman's perspective. Just an aside, um, based on what we just talked about, think about how all of Freud's work stem from his understanding, uh, you know, the language that he used and how much of that has been pervasive throughout society, right. From his mm -hmm. philosophies and stemming from, and we, you know, we dismantled it a little bit, right. Yeah. A, a, week, a week ago, which there's a lot of stuff he's, you know, just grabbing it. This is what I think this is. And it's based on this one thing or this event or the, something personal to him, but based an entire, you know, modern psych, you know, a lot of modern psychology is based on that, right? Yeah. That's how powerful it can be when you limit yourself to one particular way of thinking yep. um, or, or taking that and expanding upon that. So that's, it's, it's like a whole reality based upon just that through language yeah. and interpretation. And I think too, about how 
the Bible says that God spoke the word, the world into being right. That also, I think is important to remember, you know, and, and that Jesus said that when you, um, when you like defame somebody, you're, you're not just like denigrating their character, but you're actually murdering them with your words. I mean, that's, this is why, you know, we're told to hold our tongue, to bite our tongue and not to, um, not to, uh, disparage others. Okay. So I'll share what you put in here. Um, pinata, <laughs> what is this? Oh, <laughs> uh, it just came up on my feet. I, I, and I just thought it was funny. <laughs> if you can't see the number, you have cold, have headache, need sleep, need water. No, Epstein didn't kill himself. Have low blood sugar. Yeah. Right. Um, well, exactly. And where is, uh, where is Ghislaine's mugshot? I want to see that. <laughs> okay. and, also, and also I thought it was funny that it was coming from uh, Luke Radowski, which what he just talked about influencers and other things or people that were allowed to operate and things like that. So I thought that was very interesting that that yeah. came up my feed because I don't even follow him. So it that, allowed that's... to have blue checks, just saying. <laughs> so I thought that was double, uh, interesting that it came up right, right at the same time we we're talking about that. So. Yeah. Um, so here we have other attacks. Part one, this comes from free man's perspective, um, blog. We've thus far covered quite a few fallacies of logic today. I'd like to change our direction a bit and start dealing with other word born attacks. They affect critical thinking also. And that's what this series is really about. And so we'll start today on attacks that aren't quite fallacies of logic. The open lie. It can be hard to tell if somebody is lying as they're speaking. It usually takes time for the truth to become clear. And so we need tools to help us. The first and most important of them is to remember that there are millions of sociopaths in the world. Yes, this is true. And that these people tend to lie whenever it might suit their immediate ends and that they'll feel no remorse over it. We're not really sure how exactly how many sociopaths there are, and even the terms we use are fuzzy. Estimates run in the range of 1% to 2% of the population, and some even higher. Uh, this is the same, too, with um, primary and secondary psychopaths. Um, I think it, it, uh, primary psychopathy occurs in probably one to two percent of the population, and secondary or learned psychopathy is in like four um, percent. Um, furthermore, it seems clear that there are three times more male sociopaths than female sociopaths. And so at 2% of the total populace, one in 33 men are sociopathic and one in 100 women. Well, I, I would argue that <laughs> I think some women can be very sociopathic. There is then a significant chance that the stranger speaking to you is an unashamed liar. We don't want to get too suspicious on this becoming hyper vigilant is bad for us but we should hold this basic fact in mind and here are a few other indications
indications you might be dealing with a sociopathic person. They behave in an overly friendly way. They try to show you what a good person they are, quoting humanitarian things they've done, awards they've received, and so on, like their their credentials and stuff. Their emotions are a little bit off. They say the right things and laugh appropriately, but there's something slightly inauthentic about it. You find yourself passing off the little oddities about them, assuming the best, even though it's not really evident. Evident. One needn't be a sociopath to lie, however. So here are a few more indications that a person may be lying. Their story doesn't quite hold together. They pass right over any holes in their story and move along too quickly for you to delve into them. They try to get you to agree with them as they proceed, creating an inertia of agreement that's hard to pull back from. They tell you that other people agree with them. They try to use the room against you, quote unquote. So this is something that... um, I think that one of the things that they'll do when they first start talking to you, and I think many people have probably seen this, that they will ask you uh, questions that they know you're going to answer to, like in agreement with them. The the first things they're going to say, they're going to get you kind of saying, yeah, yes, I agree. Okay, right, right. And they're going to get you in that frame of mind. And then slowly, it's they start to change. So they have created that initial agreement, the inertia of you kind of agreeing with what they're saying. And then they just try to keep going with it. And so if you have any indication that there's something amiss about a conversation, do not go along with the argument, say, that's interesting rather than yes, or I agree, stop and restate the person's contention, like repeat what they're saying with our go-to line, wait, I want to understand this. You are saying that, and then repeat back what they said. This kind of breaks up that inertia they're trying to get going with you, just agreeing with them going, yeah, yes, yes. Um, As with the other attacks, the open lie usually relies upon emotional pressures to succeed. Obviously, the left is proficient at this. (laughs) It's the law, quote unquote. This should really be called the appeal to idols, even though it's a lot like the appeal to authority. What happens in this case is that someone tries to jump to a conclusion rather than examining facts, accomplishing this by evoking the name of something that is held above question. The root concept of this is idolatry. Most of us grow thinking of idolatry as bowing down to gods made of stone, but that's just one type of idolatry. On top of the fact that most of these people didn't think they were bowing down to mere stone, consider this, please. Whatever you hold above reason, above examination, you are treating as a god. You are idolizing it. Um, uh, mass Karens, hello. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is idolatry. And the law, along with quote unquote democracy, is a very popular modern idol. 
the truth is that being the law doesn't make anything right or wrong. This can be a complex subject, which I cover in my book, Production Versus Plunder, but in its modern use, it means the edicts of people in power. This is something Martin Luther King noted well. We should never forget that everything Adolf Hitler did in Germany was legal, quote unquote, and everything the Hungarian freedom fighters did was illegal, quote unquote. And so legal is no standard of right or should. Centuries ago, that was a standard much sought after, but it hasn't been the case for a long time. In our time, legal should be considered from a standpoint of safety. Government agents may punish you for violating their edicts, but it may or may not have any connection to right or good. Crying heresy. There are certain personality types that gravitate toward becoming petty enforcers. They don't particularly want to become the big boss, but they want to enforce standards beneath the big power. They tend to carry a rigid and legalistic view of the world and to hide their enjoyment of hurting people under concepts like duty, honor, and the common good. People of this type make up the street troops of every inquisition, as well as smaller enforcements. They also tend to be the neighbor who complains about you to the condo board, the Department of Health, and so on. I tend to call these people heretic hunters, though perhaps I'm showing my scars by saying so. Still, I haven't a better alternative, so I'll go with it. The heretic hunter may come at you directly, pointedly reminding you you're violating some rule. And it's the sharpness of it that will confirm you're dealing with a heretic hunter. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think again to the mass Karens, um, you know, so here is uh, a suggestion for dealing with this. Go back to our line. Wait, please. I'm not sure I understand you are referring to Again, this will buy you time, which is especially useful in this case, because to properly deal with the prospective heretic hunter requires some thought. While the other person or person's reply restating their position, you'll be able to clarify that they're serious about enforcing their standard and aren't just a reasonable person who spoke poorly. If you think this person is a heretic hunter, consider what kind of trouble they could make for you. There's a big difference between someone who can't go much farther than to complain about you at a cocktail party and someone who could turn you into government agents for punishment. When was this written? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this was writ written recently, so they're probably thinking of all the things that you and I are thinking of. If this person can make serious trouble for you, be very clear on the fact you're dealing with an armed barbarian, then just get away. Thanks for letting me know is a useful response if the risks aren't great and you want to say something for the sake of the people standing around, you might say something like, I don't recognize your right to lord it over me. Then you should also walk away. More next time, Paul Rosenberg. So I think that that is um, pretty... Uh, 
pretty interesting. You know, there are a lot of sociopaths uh, in society, right? And we do have these neighbors that are like this as well. I mean, you all know about the neighbor I have that runs around with the uh, sanitizing spray after her kids and makes them all wear masks outside. <laughs> And, um, you know, you're not allowed to like question what CNN tells her or she gets very angry with you. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that there are obviously uh, gradations to this, um, this behavior. Some of this is just like learned behavior um, from being propagandized. But some of these people uh, probably do have uh, some kind of. Um, mental disorder, right? Now, um, uh, very quickly, before we pass this over, I just wanted to show uh, folks that Douglas McGregor has um, spoken to the gray zone. And um, this was uh, who President Trump had appointed to bring our troops back uh, right, you know, uh, towards the end there. And they are saying how the U.S. military subverted the Afghan peace agreement to prolong an unpopular war. So they're saying that he talked to them and said that the people at, in the military or in the Pentagon, like, lied to him appointed in the final days of Trump's presidency to remove all U.S. troops from Afghanistan, Douglas McGregor tells the Gray Zone how military leadership undermined the withdrawal and pressured Trump to capitulate. So this is interesting that, he, um, that he's doing this interview. This um, publication also recently spoke to Cash Patel. Remember that um, uh, he worked for Devin Nunez and... Uh, basically uh, wrote the Nunez memo and he was looking into a lot of the Spygate stuff. So um, that's in this one, hidden Russiagate docs expose more misconduct, evidentiary holes, ex-investigator. I recommend you read that one uh, also. And so, um, yeah, McGregor says basically that the, it's, it's the, the leadership of the, the Pentagon and the military, right? These are the same people who admitted to lying to President Trump about Syria. They admitted to lying and misleading the president of the United States. But if you talk about a deep state... You're called a crazy conspiracy theorist by the media, and yet we know these things are true, right? In an exclusive interview with the Gray Zone, Colonel Douglas McGregor, a former senior advisor to the acting Secretary of Defense, revealed President Trump shocked the U.S. military only days after the election last November by signing a presidential order calling for the withdrawal of all remaining U.S. troops from Afghanistan by the end of the year. As McGregor explained to the Gray Zone, the order to withdraw was met with intense pressure from Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, which caused the president to capitulate. Trump agreed to withdraw only half of the 5,000 remaining troops in the country. Neither Trump's order nor the pressure from the Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman was reported by the national media at the time. Wow, that's nice. 
The president's surrender represented the Pentagon's latest victory in a year-long campaign to sabotage the U.S.-Taliban peace agreement signed in February 2020. Military and DOD leaders thus extended the disastrous and unpopular 20-year U.S. war in Afghanistan into the administration of Joe Biden. You know, I just don't even know what to say about that. It's not surprising, though, given the other stuff that, you know, we know they've done. That one guy um, that worked at the Pentagon that bragged about lying to the president about um, the situation in Syria. How dare these people? But it shows you that they do what they want regardless. You know, this is the swamp, and this is a manifestation of it. And so why, why would anyone want to join the military now, knowing these things? All right, we are at the top of the hour. We're now going to pass it over to Coach Clay and I-70. How are you all doing tonight? Good, thanks. Doing pretty good, Radix. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I see Captain Liberty is here as well. Good to see you. Oh, look at the Irish be with you, Les. <laughs> I got pinched today because I wasn't wearing green this morning. <laughs> oh. That's I'm wearing funny. my green now. <laughs> oh, that'll poor leave a mark. Yes, yes. <laughs> Although when Ree does it, it's it's more like tickling. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, I'm still in my green, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a very good then end of your uh, St. Patty's Day there, Radix. You and too. we'll see you again on Friday. Bye, guys. See you. See you later, Junk Pinata. Don't uh, get too drunk there on that St. Patty's Day there, Pinata. It's you know, just my namesake. It's not a lifestyle. We, we know sometimes the pinata swings, right? <laughs> yeah. See you. Wait till Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> now that, yeah, there, there, there you go. That's a better appropriation of my, of my avatar. <laughs> All right, guys, you have a great evening there. We'll see you again on Friday. Have a good week. Rest of the week. Yeah, you too. All right, here we go. I seventy back in the house there from your undisclosed location over in Florida. Great to have you back, and uh, here is some more of your stories right after the intro here. We'll be right back, folks. All right. 